0: morning, everybody. Welcome, everybody, joining us online. As Hudson said, Jill and I were uh, made up part of that parent group that hosted uh, last night. So, once again, this message is sponsored by Red Bull. No joke. So, great to have the students with us. Hey, before we get into the text, let me just share with you real quick, a lot of stuff getting fired up in the fall right around the corner. I want to speak specifically to what's going on with men's and women's ministries. Men's Ministries already have their Bible study going. Uh, they meet on Monday mornings and Thursday nights. And then this Saturday, they're getting together here at the church for the Cardinals game and a barbecue. The ladies are starting their Bible studies this Wednesday morning, by the way. there is, uh, We've got an incredible teacher in there. Courtney Bucks does an amazing job leading that group highly encourage you to participate in that. And then a couple weeks after that, they've got more studies going on. They've also got mentoring as well. For all that information and more, you can hit that QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. And then, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, that would be August 31st at 6.30, we are having a church-wide prayer and praise night. I love these events. Essentially, this is a time for the church body to come together and take this moment in worship and expand it to about an hour, So that's August 31st at 6.30 p.m. All right, now, having shared all of that, we are in Genesis chapter 32 this morning, and I want to forewarn you because we're going to get a little technical with the text. So I need you to stay with me, okay? We're going to get a little bit technical with the text. I'll forewarn you when it comes, but... In doing so, essentially what we're, what we're, what's gonna happen is we're gonna take the shovel, dig deep into the ground, and then unearth some gems that you might not easily see as you're casually reading through it. You might be familiar with the story. It's the story of Jacob and his wrestling match with God. Literally, he wrestles with God. Now, as I was reading this over the last couple of weeks, I was actually reminded of a specific event that occurred in the life of young Friedrich Nietzsche. You might know Nietzsche as the German philosopher. He was famous for saying, God is dead. It was his way of saying, we live in the the age of enlightenment where man's ability to reason has replaced God. We don't need God anymore. We have the human mind. What's interesting is that the ancient prophet Isaiah actually speaks to this issue. Speaking to the people of God, he says, Come, let's reason together. In other words, what he's saying is, let's lay out the evidence. Let's look at the facts. And then we can make a decision about what is right and wrong, what is good and what is evil. You've heard me say many times... Christianity is not a blind faith. Christianity is a faith that is based on reason. It's a faith that actually makes sense. So here's the event in young Nietzsche's life that I was referring to. It might surprise you to know that Nietzsche came from a line of Protestant preachers. In fact, he learned how to read by reading the Bible. Early in his life... He had a desire to attend seminary and actually become a preacher himself. But, as many biographers point out, there is one specific incident that is life-changing and tragic at the same time. While visiting Cologne as a young man with his friends, he's inadvertently introduced to a brothel. He and his friends walk in and immediately Nietzsche's overwhelmed by the sights and the sounds of prostitutes and sex workers. And he notices in the corner, there's a piano. So he walks over, sits down, and he begins to play. He was an excellent musician. And finally, the environment overtakes him. He stands up and he proclaims, the only thing with a soul in this place is the piano. And he storms out. What happens next is what many who knew him point to as the turning point in his life, because Nietzsche would return to the brothel, but as a customer. In fact, he would admit that it was during his time in Cologne that he contracted syphilis. Now, if you fast forward to the end of his life, it's it's sad and tragic. He died in immense pain with severe dementia as a result of neurosyphilis. I believe that Nietzsche is one of the most important philosophers who's ever lived, and here's why. He lived out his worldview. Yeah, he's one of those rare philosophers that actually practiced what he preached. In other words, he lived life as if there was no God. And the Bible is very true in, in that it says you reap what you sow, both positively and negatively. So all you, all you have to do is look at the life of Nietzsche. And, and, and isn't it true that the ultimate test, perhaps, of any worldview is its livability? And so the trajectory of his life and where he landed at the very end is, it's, it's very telling of one who lived his life apart from God. And essentially to live your life apart from God, it's, it's kind of a false statement because there will be a God in your life. And ultimately, you replace the God of the universe with yourself. You put yourself on the throne. And that's what makes Nietzsche's life so interesting. Now, what's, what's also interesting is that Nietzsche's life in some ways parallels our man, Jacob. Because in the end, Nietzsche became the very person that he despised. And that's our man, Jacob. Remember, his name literally means deceiver. And for years, he manipulated, cheated, lied in order to get what he wanted in life. If there was a blessing to be had, he would manipulate the situation to get it for himself. And then it catches up to him. He defrauds his father, lies to his father's face, steals a blessing from his older brother Esau. His older brother finds out, and Esau is a man of blood, very comfortable with violence. And he says, brother, I want you dead for what you did to me. Jacob has to flee. He's gone for 20 years. Along the way, it's super bumpy. We've said it's like he takes one step up and two steps back. But God meets him. And what we learn is that God is gracious. He doesn't wait for us to get our junk together before entering our lives. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not the other way around. It's not like, hey, repent first, and then you'll experience God's kindness. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. That's so beautiful and God shows him kindness and he begins taking these sort of baby steps to knowing what God is like and experience his reality and his blessings. Well, 20 years in the making this relationship, he's maturing, he's growing, he's not perfect. He still has a lot of control issues, but he's learning. At this point in his life, he's prosperous. He's moved from total disobedience to partial disobedience to full obedience and God speaks to him and he says, Jacob, time to go back and to face your demons at home. Go home. Go back to your kin, yeah, exactly. Go back to where your brother lives, and I will be with you. Now, how many times have we seen throughout the book of Genesis, God tends to show up in the midst of insurmountable circumstances, you know why that is? Because when you and I are at the end of our rope, when we're in the bottom of that pit in life, and it's like you have nowhere to look but where? Up. And that's where God meets you. So now the question for Jacob is, is he going to fully trust God in the midst of a really difficult situation? This is a really hard ask on God's part and then, Or is he going to do what he's always done and fall back on his own knowledge and understanding and effort? So that's how the stage is set. now. Uh, In chapter 32, we get the full account of not only his obedience, but God wounding him in the most specific and unusual way for God's greater purposes. So we're starting to set the shovel a little bit deeper into the text now, okay? Chapter 32, verse 1. Jacob went on his way. And along the way, the angels of God meet up with him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. Mahanaim. That's why he named the place Mahanaim. This is great on God's part because he knows this is a difficult thing for Jacob. And he says, I'm with you. It's not going to be easy, but I want you to know I'm with you. This is the right message at the right time. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. Esau will become the forefather of the Edomite nation. And he instructed these messengers saying, thus you shall say to, notice the language, my lord Esau. Brothers typically don't refer to each other this way. I have three brothers. I can guarantee you I've never called them lord. (laughs) Called them other things. Never called them lord. Thus says your servant, brother, I'm your servant, Jacob. He says, I have sojourned with Laban. That's his father-in-law who he's been with for the last 20 years. And I have stayed until now, but now I'm coming back. And I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. God has blessed me. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Jacob understands that family wounds don't quickly heal. He's lied, cheated, and stole from his brother. And then he split. And that angst has been simmering for 20 years. But now God is calling him back. So he says, listen, brother, I'm on my way. Your servant is on his way. God has blessed me. Perhaps I can be a blessing to you. It's a very peaceful overture on his part. So the messengers go out, and then they report back. Verse 6. And the messengers return to Jacob, and they said, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. So this is not the response that Jacob wants to hear, because the number 400 was the standard size of a militia (laughs) right he's like um this is going to be bad for me he's terrified so he develops a plan verse 7 jacob was greatly afraid and distressed so he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps and here's why here's what he's thinking If Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, we'll we'll have this other camp that will survive. So he splits his stuff, his family, in half, thinking that this will preserve it. And then what he does next is something he's never done before, but it's the exact right thing to do. He actually turns to God, and he starts to pray. Now here's the thing. You understand this to be true. Communication is one of the key pillars of any relationship. So sometimes we as Christians, we start to think, you know, I don't know. You know, it's like, I feel like my spiritual life is weak or it's anemic. And it's just, I'm not getting anywhere. Question. How's your prayer life? Are you communicating with God? See, up until now, you don't see this kind of action in Jacob's life. And that's why his faith was so small. But now he's in this really difficult spot. and he's Well, Jacob said, oh, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, oh, Lord, who, who said to me, hey, hey, God, remember you were the one who, who told me to go back. It's not looking great right now, but let me just write. You're the one that told me to go back to your kindred that I may do you good. He says, this is, this is humility on his part. He hasn't been like this. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. And he gives proof. He says, for when I came oh, when I crossed over the Jordan, I had one thing in, with me, and that's just this piece of wood. That's all that I had. But now you've blessed me. I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, because I'm terrified. Fear, I think, is the strongest motivator there is. And when you allow your fears to control you, you will end up doing more harm than good, and you don't even realize it. It's a very powerful motivator, but he's getting it right here. He's taking this fear before the throne of God. You know, when Christians do this, I think what they discover is of all God's attributes, one rises above in this moment, And it's super comforting. You know what that attribute is? Sovereignty. It's the idea that there are no mistakes, there are no accidents with God. There's never a moment where God looks at your life and goes, wow, I did not see that coming. What are we going to do? Never happens with God. And he's honest with them. He says, I'm afraid he might come and attack me. Not just me, but the mothers with the children. But God, let me remind you of a promise that you made to me. You said, I will surely do you good, Jacob, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. We said this before when it was first mentioned, even to his grandfather, Abraham, to be told that you were going to have many children was a sign of, it was just like, it was life's greatest blessing. Like, right, to be told that you were going to have a multitude. In fact, to be told that you're going to have so many descendants that it will give rise to a nation. Jacob's name changes from Jacob to Israel. The modern-day Israelites trace their lineage to to this man, Jacob, slash Israel. Why do you think that is? Um, The Bible explains that. God, you made these promises, and I don't know, how, how's this going to happen if Esau comes and he kills everybody in my family? So this represents a significant step forward in, in his spiritual life. He says, I'm not worthy of all that you've given to me, and, uh, and, and I need your help. And he turns to God in prayer. I, I, I was reminded of, um, I like old, old preachers, man, because sometimes they come up with some really good stuff that us modern guys struggle to uh, to think. In 1885, the preacher Joseph Scriven was, uh, he, he left his, his mother's house to become a missionary in Canada. They lived in Ireland. And his mom was heartbroken that her son was leaving. understood why and encouraged him, but she was heartbroken at the departure of her son. So he wrote down and he wrote mom a poem. Later this poem gets turned into a very famous hymn. Perhaps you're, you're familiar with it. Let me read you the poem. Mother, what a friend we have in Jesus. all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You want to know what made Jacob a changed man? What grew his faith in God, this is it. He begins communicating with God, crying out to God, acknowledging God's goodness and saying, God, I believe you are there, you are real, that you want to bless, and I need you. What he does next is quite brilliant. In an effort to appease his brother, he sends wave after wave of gifts. Finally, after all the gifts have arrived, Esau is told one more gift. And that is the presence of your servant. Your brother Jacob is coming to meet you. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children across the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and then Jacob is alone. And the sun begins to set. And it's dark. <laughs> and he's contemplating, will I ever see the sunset again? Not exactly sure how this is going to go down. I know God has made a promise to preserve me and my, my, my ancestors, my descendants. But doesn't look super hopeful from where I'm standing. I'm alone. Night falls. And then suddenly, Jacob feels this. (laughs) There's this tug. Verse 24, And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. This isn't a short struggle. This isn't like, you know, three five-minute rounds. This is... This is an hours long wrestling match. (sighs) There's sweat, there's cardio. This is a struggle. Neither seems to be getting the upper hand. Verse 25 when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. I have a lot of questions. Who is this man? The prophet Hosea, Hosea chapter 12, describes him as an angel and as God. In verse 30, Jacob himself says, I have seen God face to face and I lived. The New Testament authors tell us that Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. That's why some believe this is the pre-incarnate Jesus wrestling with Jacob, an angel, God himself, Jesus, whatever the case, the next question I have is, how in the world does Jacob even last five seconds? I mean, if you're in Vegas, Jacob is like a plus 10 million, you know, I mean, he's the ultimate underdog, and yet he seems to hold on. How is this even possible? Well, it's because God is revealing something about himself and he's revealing something about Jacob. And this is where the language of the text gets super rich and very revealing. So my Sunday school teacher, God bless her, she misled me a little bit as to the meaning because I've always pictured this wrestling match, you know, as, as the text kind of describes is maybe God just kind of took a finger at one point, right? And just, just touched the hip and all of a sudden, right? It's like out of joint. But the language is really, really interesting here because the word used to describe this location is, it's, it doesn't describe bone. It's not the bony part of the leg. It literally means flesh and meat, muscle. On this part of the leg, where is the flesh and the meat and the muscle? It's not on the outside, it's right here on the inside. Oh no, this is interesting. What's also interesting is that this part of the thigh is kind of a sacred place. I'll give you an example. In Old Testament times, well, let's say in modern times, if you and I, uh, uh, you know, say we work out a deal. And if we want to commit to keeping our word, each one of us, we might say, hey, let's shake on it. So We shake hands, right? That's, that's the symbolism. Let's shake on it. I keep my word. You keep your word. We'll shake on it. Well, back in the day, that's not what they did. In Old Testament times, they would say, place your hand under my thigh. And right away, you're like, thank God I'm not born then, you know, because that's just <laughs> That's just weird. Now, the, now, dudes, now, men, think about it for a second. All right? You're back in the day. And a dude places his hand right under your thigh. That's close to a tender part of your body. See, the symbolism was I'm really vulnerable right now. And I'm trusting that you won't hurt me because you could very easily. So I'm trusting you. Now, what's also interesting is that this area of a man's body, dies thighs and groin, that area was considered the place of family blessing for obvious reasons because that part of a man's body contains the parts that allow him to have children. Now, here's what's really fascinating. When Jacob cries out to God, what does he say? Of all the promises that God has made to him, what does he say? You promised to give me kids. You promised to make me a nation. And in this wrestling match, God hauls off and delivers a sucker punch to the groin so hard that it dislocates his hip. You're like, what's up with that? Think about it. This is a man who his entire life, he has manipulated one situation after another in order to obtain his own blessings his way. And in the one place that he has the ability to continue to obtain the blessing in his way, God just kind of goes, mm. And what's really interesting is his response. Because essentially what Jacob says is, well, verse 26, he says, Let me go, for the day has broken. Right, so this deity is saying, Let me go for the day. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. In other words, this is God's way of saying, tell me who you are. Remember the name Jacob and what it means? Deceiver. Tell me who you are. Oh, I'm the deceiver. Yeah, your whole life, your whole life has been one of deceiving other people. And I just wounded you. I just wounded you to keep you from wounding others. Uh, but, but more so, then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. The name Israel literally means one who wrestles with God. You know what's fascinating is you read the history of God's people, specifically even the nation of Israel to this day, they wrestle with God, specifically with the Son of God and receiving him as the Messiah. Perfect name. They've always wrestled with God. But God says, you prevailed. What is he saying? He's saying, you know, you didn't tap out. You did not tap out. You wanted a blessing for yourself so badly, but here's the key. You asked me for it because I took away your ability to give it to yourself. I wounded you so that you would learn to depend on me. Time out. Did you catch that? I wounded you in the very place where you thought you could bring your own blessing, but now you can't. And so now you have to depend on me. So this is super profound, man, and I've been chewing on this a lot this week in in my own life. It's kind of like God says, you don't believe that I can even give you a blessing apart from you helping yourself. So here it comes, Jacob. In your woundedness, you will have nothing else but trust. So how is this landing with you? There's always a moment when a room full of people gets dead silent. How is it landing with you? See, let's just tease it out. Maybe a little bit I can help. So I've thought about it in my own life. Where is the woundedness that is meant to build trust? (laughs) Right? Where is the woundedness that is meant to build dependence? What we see moving forward is an upward trajectory. And it's kind of fun. I was telling the staff, finally I get to talk about Jacob's successes because it's been one struggle after another, one step up, two steps back. But it isn't until this moment. Let me just forewarn you. Uh, coming, Okay. What we're going to read, you know, what comes next in the text shortly is an account of sexual assault. Hey, the Bible is like, it's, it's very soberly written because it speaks of real people, real time, and real events that are incredibly relevant to our own time. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. It, ex- it exposes the soft underbelly of human nature and how God works in it. And the one who experiences the sexual assault is actually Jacob's daughter. So this is God's way of preparing him for all that will come into his life. But man, there's some woundedness first. So here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, You know, just to free yourself from any distractions because I think the text is so, wants to so powerfully speak to your life. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And here's, here's what I would want you to think about. Have you ever thought of your own wounding in this way? think if we were to ask God, what is the one thing you want from us? I really think the answer would be complete and unconditional surrender. There's this sense that Jacob holds on and yet he says, I can't do it without you. It's like he's been caught between the road that he's always known and the road that lies ahead with God. But God wounds so that he heals so that we can receive what he wants to give us, which ends up being so much more than we think. Father, we ask that in this moment, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. Nobody is in this room by accident. You've brought us into this place to receive Profound truths that we just don't we don't hear anywhere else because we're just not exposed to the good words of your book. Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know you, understand you, and what you're doing in our lives. Because everything that we say, everything that we do, ultimately we want we want to be under your hand of blessing. Sometimes you you've got to bring us to that point where we have nothing, uh, nothing left. And that's actually a good place to be. When we are empty of ourselves, we can then become full of you. So, Father, lead us. May your word continue to be a salve to the wounds that we have as we consider how we can take them up into your greater purposes for your glory. The greatest example of this, I mean, let's face it, God, you have skin in the game, literally in your son, Jesus Christ, who would be wounded for the ultimate blessing that would lead to eternal life. That's our example. Father, give us the courage as your people to step into that. Give us wisdom, discretion. At the same time, heal us, because we need it. All for your glory, and so that the name of Jesus Christ can be lifted high and God's people said... Amen.